Welcome back, Peril Piles. Later, join Hannibal Lecter for his weekly cooking hour. But next up is our very own panel of Peril, who will be spoiling the movie Gross Point Blank. Don't say we didn't warn you. This is Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then compete to improve them. I'm your host, Craig, and this week's movie is 1997's Too Cool for School reunion contract killer comedy Gross Point Blank. So, Peril Pals, take a trip down memory lane, apologize sincerely to everyone you fucked over in high school, and let's get diabolical. Welcome to this week's episode. As host for this week, I'm the union representative of the panel of Peril, who will compete against me at the close of the show in a bid to become the world's go-to assassin, as we each try to come up with the best alternative plan for the movie villain of the week before we vote to name this week's most diabolical. As ever, I'm joined by three hitmen. Please introduce yourselves and tell me, Gross Point Blank is full of Cusacks. But what is your favourite Hollywood family, siblings, or dynasty? <laughs> Cinemaster. That was very Partridge-esque of you. <laughs> Cinemaster here. My favourite dynasty, or Hollywood dynasty, should we say, is the father and son of Kirk and Michael Douglas. Very nice. And who obviously, Catherine Zeta-Jones, is born into that family as well. So she's um, also adding into that pack is a nice bit of uh, eye candy for, for the uh, you know for the for male listeners and maybe for the lesbian listeners as well. Who knows? There, there's lovely. She's from not far from where I am right now, Old Mumbles. Yeah, Mumbles. <laughs> Quite right. <laughs> that was a very good Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> ben here. And my favourite Hollywood family is the Bridges. Lloyd, oh. Jeff, and yeah. yes, even Bo. Yeah. Why the hell not? Yeah. The fabulous Baker Boys. Bo's a nice surprise actor in some films, isn't he? Like, oh, Bo Bridges. Okay. <laughs> and then he usually plays like a lovely little character actor role. And you're like, hmm, charming. Yeah. Do a fantastic supermarket cake mix as well. Ooh, lovely. He's no Lloyd, though, is he? <laughs> Who is the best bridge? Yeah. Lloyd Bridges, isn't he? Yeah, come on, airplane. Unbelievable. Hot shots. Uh, oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. And the old man on Seinfeld who uh, who thinks Jerry's like shining him on to do weights and stuff. Oh, I'll show you. Mendelbaum, is it? That's right, yeah. <laughs> and then his dad gets in on it in the end. <laughs> He's like 100 years old. Uh, Gaz, your favourite Hollywood dynasty. Now, this is uh, fucking uh, Gaz, and uh, my Hollywood dynasty slash family is, we've got Tony Curtis married to Janet Leigh, whose daughter was Jamie Lee Curtis, who is married to Christopher Guest. Yeah. So Mm. that's a very good foursome. Yeah, that's beautiful. And as for me, you know me, it's Craig, the... Hollywood family that I picked as my favourite is, I don't know if everybody knows this, but Dakota Johnson, who's a wonderful actress, is the daughter of Don Johnson and Melanie Griffith. I thought you were going to say Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (laughs) No, his daughter's a wrestler. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Strangely (laughs) enough. Seems to be an actress, no doubt. (laughs) Time now to delve into this week's film. Star, writer, and producer John Cusack collaborated with Miami Blues director George Armitage to bring us this achingly hip, darkly comic tale of a professional killer taking stock of his life, re-evaluating his priorities, and confronting his career choices. From an original screenplay by Tom Jankowitz, Gross Point Blank follows ironically detached assassin Martin Blank as he returns to his roots in Gross Point, Michigan for one final hit, and reconnects with old friends and his old flame Debbie, 
played by the magnificent Mini Driver. Frustrated with his lack of progress in therapy, and with the advances of rival Hitman Grocer, played with sadistic deadpan by Dan Aykroyd, Blank is at an impasse, until his unhinged but diligent and loyal assistant Marcella, played by the star's real-life sister Joan Cusack, pressures him into accepting an invitation to his 10-year high school reunion. With the constant looming presence of vengeful killers for hire, corrupt law enforcement agents, and an unfulfilled contract kill, and eager to convince himself and the world that he is not defined by his job, Blank attempts to reconcile the life he has with the life he wants, with the unwilling assistance of his psychiatrist, played by the late great Alan Arkin. Charged with brilliant humour and pathos, pleasingly brutal Hong Kong-style action, and a killer soundtrack, it's a superior 90s classic. Now, as it's our 10-year high school reunion, I thought an icebreaker would be just the ticket. <laughs> so, I'm going to tell you three facts about Gross Point Blank, one of which will be a lie. Before you do, yeah, could you go back in and fill up those blanks? Fuck off. You're going to love what comes at the end of this game. You're going to fucking love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You have to identify the lie. Number one, Quentin Tarantino provided the Pulp Fiction standee we see in the supermarket shortly before it's blown up. He was also keen to cameo, hoping to be shot in the crossfire. Number two, three versions of the film were shot each different in tone, as Armitage was fond of wild improvisation. One version stuck to the script faithfully, while another was reportedly completely over the top. Despite this, none of the alternate scenes have ever appeared on home releases. And number three, discarded elements from the script were later reused in Brian Helgeland's 1999 Mel Gibson vehicle, Payback. One, two, or three, guys. Bloody hell, that's a tricky one. I think three, because it's based on something true. But you've tweaked it. Oh, I see. Hmm. Is payback? Give me back my son. Is that the one? No, that's ransom. That's ransom. Ah, yeah. Payback is. Yeah. I'm giving you back my son. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a Lee Mac quip. What a comeback! Oh yeah, I'm coming for you, Lee Mac. I'm coming for you <laughs> right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, you and your half baked career. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Ben's going with number three. Anyone else got? Uh, think it's anything different? I'm going to go number one. I'm going to say number one, yeah. All right, so we've got two for number one and one for number three. And I think it's very apparent that Ben knows for a fact that it's number three because he knows what elements were reused in Brian Helgeland's 1999 Mel Gibson vehicle payback. What were they, Ben? Um, Dan Aykroyd saying... Where are them bloody ghosts? <laughs> Not elements from this, because that was false, remember? <laughs> Brian Helgeland's 1999 Mel Gibson vehicle, Payback, <laughs> is a remake of the Lee Marvin film, Point Blank. It's got nothing to do with gross Point Blank. Uh, right, okay. If you haven't I seen no Point Blank, it's fucking amazing. You, you should watch it. All right, I've got a special just for Ben, because he loves it, and because he, he finished that game so quickly that we've got time for a blankety-blank super match game. Blankety blank, blankety blank, Martin Q, blankety blank. There you go, lovely, perfect. So, see if you can guess the blanks. I've written down three potential blanks for each question. There's 150 points if you get my top blank, 100 for my middle blank, and 50 for my bottom blank. So, here we go. Are you ready? Grocer does a lot of killing in broad daylight. The guy has a huge pair of blanks on him. Tits. <laughs> Tits for Ben. Spondulies. Spondulies for Gaz. Holsters. Holsters. Oh, you were so close. 50 points for Ben. 100 points answer was balls. And the top answer for 150 points was, was of course, guns. The huge pair of guns on him. Uh, oh. Here we go. Did you hear about that pooch Boudreaux getting blown up? Thinking about it makes me want blank. Spaghetti bolognese. Spaghetti bolognese for Ben? Two 
blow a very big green bogey into a handkerchief? I'll tell you now, it's going to be short answers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I've grossly misinterpreted the rules of this game. Oh, dear. Gaz, you got a different answer? Makes me one absolution. You know who Boudreaux is, right? No. <laughs> Boudreaux's the dog that Blank accidentally kills. Yes. Yes. Well, my, my top answer for 150 points was popcorn, which is what Grocer says. Uh, my 150-point answer was hot dog. And uh, 50 points, you could have had wine, because Boudreaux sounds a bit like Bordeaux. <laughs> okay, last one. High school in North Wales in the 1990s was very different to high school in America. For instance, if someone invited me to the prom, I would have brought a blank. Kebab. Can of special brew. And gas. A nightstick. <laughs> All right. Well, my top answer was bucket and spade. And then the middle <laughs> answer was beach umbrella. And for 50 points, you could have had dog shit bag. Dog shit bag. <laughs> Let's find out what the panel of peril thought of the film before we throw open the chat to talk in more detail about our favourite aspects, sequences, and lines. And let's start with Adam. Uh-oh, you owe him a compliment. Oh, shit in hell. Nah! <laughs> oh, you've got a lovely, smooth scrotum. <laughs> oh, yes. Does it, does it match my head? <laughs> Not these days. <laughs> no, my head is a lot more inclusive. <laughs> Cinemaster, what did you think of Gross Point Blank? I instantly knew that I wasn't going to get a lot of the stuff on this because it, it's. I, I think that day I must have been living my life on half speed because all the witty lines and stuff were coming too fast, and I was like, I know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to rewind and stop. It was about twenty minutes in. I thought I've missed quite a bit already. I was following the plot, but then the dialogue and stuff I was passing me by. I was like, well. Do I start watching it again and, and hope? And I thought, no, because it's not landing with me at the moment. So just keep going. I did enjoy loads of elements to it. There's loads of 90s pop culture stuff in there. I loved like the, the Doom 2 arcade machine mm. in the Cookie yeah. Mart. Absolutely the best thing for me about this movie is the soundtrack. It's, it's just right. heavy hit after heavy yeah, hit. I thought it would be a great one to follow up Dumb and Dumber yeah. because I think it has a similar... Kind oh. of incredible, yeah. unforgettable soundtrack. It's one ups up Dumb and Dumber, I think, with the soundtrack on this for sure. Yeah, I'd say this one's slightly more of a Muso's. You know, it's a bit, yeah. a bit more highbrow. Okay, thank you, Cinemaster. Gaz, uh, anything to add? Well, I enjoyed it, but not as much as I think I was expecting it to. I think that the cool factor of it has diminished quite a lot. I found John Cusack and Mini Driver both quite abrasive at times, particularly in a scene like the airplane scene in her bedroom. It's oh so cutesy and delightful. <laughs> However, I also really like John Cusack's performance and Dan Aykroyd is fantastic as Grocer, the villain. Mm -hmm. And the central conceit of a high-caliber hitman returning home for his high school reunion, being tied in with an assassination slash recruitment plot on him is genuinely quite quite brilliant. Yeah. It's a bit of a mixed bag for me, but on the whole, I did enjoy it, and I expect I'd quite like to revisit it in a few years, and like we always say, I probably will feel mm. differently about it again then. I, I dare yeah. say I might enjoy it more that time. Yeah, with every watch, it's different, isn't it? It depends where you are in your life a, a lot of the time, and not just like where you are in your life as a whole, but it could just be on the day, you know? Yeah. But I love that airplane scene because it gives you a feeling that these characters have a real history. Like it's something mm. that is between them and it's something that I think a lot of us can relate to, you know, giving and receiving airplanes, a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> giving and receiving. It's giving airplanes and receiving airplanes. It's a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I think Mini Driver gives Debbie like a real sense of 
inner life as well. Because we've talked before briefly about Manic Pixie Dream Girls and she could have so easily been that. But because they improvised a lot of stuff and because she's such a strong performer, I think that she really makes Debbie feel like a person that that is alive to me. Uh, so yeah, that's why I really like that scene. But I totally get where you're coming from on the on the cool side of things. It is obviously very very nineties. Oh yeah, extremely. And it was made at a time when studios were trying to capture the Pulp Fiction style of it's a studio film, but it wants to feel like an indie film. That's the way that I think of it. Yeah, it's a Pulp Fiction rom com. Yeah, exactly. Ben, what about your general thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was a fun film. I thought it definitely owes a lot to the strength of the script. Mm. I think it's very well written. But there are three elements for me that elevate it beyond being just a fun film and make it a standout. And they are Alan Arkin, uh, yeah. uh, the Cusacks, yeah. and the Cinemaster already mentioned, the, uh, the Joe Strummer curated soundtrack. Yeah, They're all outstanding. Mm. I think yeah. the rest of the cast are great too. But I think those three elements really make the difference for me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Alan Arkin. Yeah, you know, like everybody, improvised a lot of his dialogue there, and just what what a master he has. Kind of an air to him that's similar in in, in a lot of his films for me. Like, is he in that Kaminsky method you were talking about? Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. He was. So yeah. good. Yeah. So he, you know, like the chief of police in in Axe Murderer, and uh, you, you know, he has that same kind of air. Yeah. Nonetheless, yeah, I think he's fantastic in this. Kind of a genial befiddlement is how I would describe it. Yeah, I think that sums it up really well. Yeah, so talking about the, the soundtrack, any standouts on that for you? Faith No More! Yeah, Faith No More. <laughs> we care a lot. I assume, guys, that yours would be Faith No More. Get in there. <laughs> yes, of course. I'm a big Faith No More fanboy. The last album that they made after many years was also very, very good, with Superhero Song being a particular highlight. So yes, Faith No More. Every day, all day. Uh, thank you. I think I could probably guess what Ben's going to say as well. I enjoyed the Violent Femmes, Blister in the Sun. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Every time I watch this, I sing Blister in the Sun for weeks afterwards. I thought you were going to say Pete Townsend. Yeah, that, I, that's actually really well used as well. But no, yeah. I, th- I think the uh, the Violent Femmes is just a bit more standout. Yeah. What about you, Cinemaster? I didn't really right my favorite down yeah sure living like die guns and roses on there yeah that's a good one that's when he's pulling up to the quickie mart isn't it yeah (laughs) (laughs) for that reveal yeah that was great but i just really like the way it was all put together it all felt like each song was sort of it didn't like great against the other it was just nicely the whole thing was really nicely put together the vibe you like the vibe i did like the vibrations of the music entering my ear processing that information, inputting it into my brain, and then nodding with appreciation. Oh, yeah. I enjoyed the whole process, yeah. Like you saying yes to every beat. Yeah, yes. And like saying, <laughs> no, 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 don't stop rocking. <laughs> uh, so for my rating, I give it a, it's a smart, funny, and wholly original take on a high school reunion rom-com that is well worth 107 minutes of your time out of five. <laughs> beautiful beautiful mm. <laughs> excellent most if not all of the songs are needle drops and there's a great bit when he goes to debbie's house and she says you can't come in which is from the start of that special song that she's playing in the background she hermes conrad <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 and another great one just that the dance is uh Nine and Nine Sig Lift Balloons, which I just really love. I love that as well, yeah. yeah. You mentioned him briefly, but what are everyone's overall thoughts of Dan Aykroyd as a villain? Oh, he just explodes on that very first scene when he pulls up in his town yeah. car. It just explodes out of the car. And you're like, straight away, the film elevates straight away because he's in it and he's and he's given it everything. I think if they'd chosen a different bad guy, I don't think they, it would have been quite as enthralling i don't know who would who could have taken that role yeah i honestly can't think of anybody who would have done it quite like that yeah and that was my first note when dan Aykroyd exploding <laughs> yeah and grosser as a character what do we think of him as as a villain character it's interesting isn't it uh, the yeah. fact that he just he wants to join forces with right. the film's hero is quite a unique and compelling angle to take yeah. And yeah, Aykroyd is fantastic. He's he's the opposite of quiet 
menace, isn't he? He's, he's very overtly <laughs> menacing from the second you see him dressed as a doorman taking yeah. over Martin's hit right. during the opening credits. And yeah, you just you feel that there's violence within him and it's going to explode at any given moment. And every yeah. scene that they have together over the diner table where they've got guns under the table pointing at each other, you're just yeah. expecting something to happen every second. I love how he's like exasperated and he yeah. he's closing his eyes and rolling his head against the wall just out of sheer frustration. <laughs> like, oh. I like Dan Aykroyd's shooting face. Yeah. Pursed lips. When he's, <laughs> where he's double gunning in the kitchen and blinking. Yeah. yeah. He's got this face, got this really serious face. He's got his his legs like separated quite far apart. Good stance. <laughs> I love that they have him dual wielding. It's like one step away yeah. from having doves in the frame. It's just yeah. fucking brilliant. Yeah. I think we we we've uh, made a nice segue there into favourite grosser moments. So, uh, Gaz, your favourite grosser moment? Have you already given it? Genuinely, what I really like is his death scene. Where they're yeah. just, it's like police squad, isn't yeah. it? They're about <laughs> half yeah. a foot away from each other over the countertop shooting at each other. And then yeah. they both stand up with empty clips on the guns, and Martin just slams his TV on top of his head. <laughs> and he, he just plants backwards, and you can just sort of hear him gurgling and twitching. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a quite spectacular end for a spectacular yeah. villain. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah, I did wonder how they how they achieved that because it looks brutal. <laughs> oh yeah, Ben, favorite grosser moment? I think we covered mine. It's, yeah. it's just before that where he's in the kitchen. He's got two guns, one in each hand, and he's just firing them off and blinking <laughs> really rapidly. It's a movie laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. What about you, Cinemaster? Same. It's just his shooting. It physically, it's his shooting face, and every time he he, he fires a gun, it's just brilliant. I love it. Yeah. For me, it's the dinosaur scene that Gaz mentioned. I just think he's so brilliant in that. And the way that they <laughs> act around the, the waitress and everything, both of them actually in that. Yeah. I just find it hilarious. Barking <laughs> yeah, the orders at <laughs> Yeah, doing the orders. <laughs> what is it? Uh, what is it? An egg white omelette? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not an omelette if you don't have anything in it. <laughs> I don't want to argue semantics with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I also, I really love the way that he and Blank shake hands while they're holding their guns in their jackets at the same time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's great. So what about just favourite moments in general from the film uh, outside of that? For me, it was any scene with Alan Larkin. Yeah. I really love the therapy scenes. Even when it was over a phone call, just the conversations were just great. Yeah. And I'm going to save my favourite line. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Fr- it's from one of those scenes. Cool. We'll move on to that in a second. And Cinemaster, I think you were keen to share a favourite moment. Yeah, I quite like the partnership of Hank Azaria yeah. and the Buffy vampire guy as well. I can't remember his name. Yeah, Mr. Trick. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Trick, yeah. that's it. I was trying to think of it, wasn't it? I did like <laughs> them actually together. Quite a nice little combination. And... They're brilliant, aren't they? Yeah, they again sell the idea that they've been working together forever. Mm. It's got mm. such an easy back and forth between yeah. them. It's really good. It's a good reveal that they work for the NSA as well, isn't it? Because you just assume yeah. that they're Hitman as well. I think I've watched it in its entirety before and not realised that they were NSA and thought that they were just Hitman. <laughs> mm. I thought they were feds from the very start. Yeah, me but too. then when they said they were NSA, well, I thought it was more, more or less the same thing because they don't, Hitman well, don't, don't usually you. work together, do they? So. Well, don't yeah. you? <laughs> I'm not saying like the last time I watched it. Thank you. I mean, like maybe the first time I watched it, and I think I was probably only about 14 or something the first time I saw it. Okay. It just felt like Grocer was snitching straight away to me. Mm. That's why I, I assumed right. you feds. Right, right, yeah. Mm. And Gaz? Do you know what I like? And this is, <laughs> this is probably not quite specific to the film, but it's a thing that happens in a lot of film and TV shows. Just Martin pulls up to a store it's not the the quickie mart where his childhood home was. It's just like a, a big row of stores. Pulls up, gets out the car, the car lurches forward slightly as though he hasn't parked it correctly. Yeah. Then Grocer pulls up, he gets out, and his car lurches forward slightly. <laughs> it's like, what is it with actors that can't put a fucking handbrake on? It happens I thought so that was intentional. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that yeah. was intentional because they both did it and I thought it was like to show that they're both yeah. 
they're too full of energy. They're too much in a in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, it could could have been a, a mistake. Is it not something that happens with automatics? Maybe. No. But... Oh yeah, it is when you because you put it in park and then you let your foot off the brake and it does tend to move forward like a couple of inches. Yeah, it doesn't lurch forward though. Park's essentially a, a handbrake, basically. Mine does it. Mine's an automatic. Does it? Ours doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, you do, yeah. I've driven in America. Yeah. <laughs> so did I. The car was way too big. It was massive. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Did you have some um, bullhorns on the front as well and uh, like some... Big fancy wings at the back. I didn't notice because I was too busy trying to stretch my foot to reach the pedal. Oh, yeah, yeah. We were going to do a fly drive to Florida one time with a a Cadillac was the car that came with it. And I was fucking dreading it, trying to drive one of those fuckers. But fortunately, it got cancelled. So that was fine. (laughs) (laughs) So my favourite moment, I think, is when Blank first visits Debbie at the radio station. And just the blocking of that scene and the way he plays it, like he doesn't want to sit in the chair and he keeps getting up and like closing the blinds. And when she gets up, he switches to her chair so he can face the door. This really good movement from the actors there. So I really enjoy that. It tells you a lot about them and and their relationship, which I think is really cool. So how about some favorite lines? Let's start with everybody's favorite lines, specifically from the villain Grocer. So Cinemaster, favorite line for you? Workers of the world, unite! <laughs> Very uh, zeitgeisty at the moment. We're recording this yeah, during the yeah. SAG after and WGA and DGA strikes. I thought it was quite nice that we have done a film that's quite heavy about unions, albeit not necessarily in favour of them. Gaz, do you have a favourite line specifically from Grocer? Uh, yes, the one that I have written down is the first meeting between them in the the nondescript bit of wasteland as he's leaving. And it's a refrain that he keeps on coming back to. He's just like, hey, ping, ping, bing, bang, popcorn. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Fucking mental. Yeah. Hence, that's what Boudreaux getting blown up makes uh, Terry Wogan think about. Ben, do you have a favourite line from Grocer? I'll be coming round the mountain when I come. (laughs) I'll be coming round the mountain when I come. I'll be blowing your fucking head off. I'll be blowing your fucking head off. I'll be whacking your fucking mind out when I come. <laughs> My go-to has always been when he says that he's going to shoot him in the head and fuck the brain hole. But oh, the yeah. one that I wrote down, because <laughs> yeah. it's so silly and it's complete, it's almost like a fourth wall break, is when Blank is intercepting the hit on Debbie's dad and he says, that punk is either in love with that guy's daughter or he has a newfound respect for life, which is what Blank has just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it's, good. That'd be, it's yeah, so like silly, that. though. It doesn't fit in with the rest of the film. All right. Uh, anyone got any other favorite lines from the movie? Mine's an exchange between Dr. Oatman and Martin. Don't kill anyone for a few days. See what it feels like. <laughs> All right. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> no, don't give it a shot. Don't shoot anything. <laughs> Brilliant. One of my favourite exchanges is when Jeremy Piven drives blank on it. Who's Jeremy Piven? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he drives blank on a tour down memory lane through Gross Point, and when they get to Debbie's house, he goes, Debbie's house? Kind of crept up on you, didn't it? And Blank says, no, you drove us here. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone want to say anything else about the film before we move on? I have uh, my first note is absolute state of this caravan pictures title card. (laughs) At the start of the film, a silhouette of a bum walking into the wild blue yonder with bland 1970s item music playing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know whether that's Cusack's (laughs) company or what, but God damn, what a shit logo. Really riled you up. Oh, man. <laughs> Awful. And uh, one more, which is the hit scene in the hotel where he's dripping. Is yeah. It like fucking, what's that shit called? The tooth stuff. Dental floss. <laughs> cyanide. Yeah, cyanide. Doesn't kill Javier Bardem. Yeah. Yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah. He's dripping that down the wire, which I thought was like brilliant. I don't know whether that's a real method or what. Yeah, they they do that in in a Bond movie as well. Can't remember which one. Oh, do they? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, that's cool. Mm. But then there's a fade to white, which I didn't like. I think it's uh... it's it looks like a cheap nineties Japanese video game with the fade to white. Like oh, a horror like game. Uh, oh dear. I'm not a fan mm. of a fade to white myself. It's a bit of a gamble, isn't it? The fade to white. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I don't know what it is. It it, it always feels cheap to me. It can do, yeah. Mm. You're always safe fade into black. Maybe it's just one of those things of its time, but now looks shit. Try fading some other colours. Do it fade to green. Doesn't work. Doesn't really work. Damn your eyes. It looks off. As a man that's done a lot of editing in his time, trust me. Yeah. <laughs> what about um what about fade to rainbow? Fade to rainbow. Yeah. Never seen it done, Gaz. But uh it might just work. <laughs> <laughs> Now, before we get to the competition round, if you're new to the podcast and you're enjoying it, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you can. It helps us keep making these and keeps us from turning our hands to contract killing for 3995. Call it four grand. <laughs> oh, very nice. <laughs> I like that. In Gross Point Blank, professional killer grocer, frustrated by a competitive and cutthroat marketplace, wants to run a union come protection racket that will allow him to assign jobs and prevent conflicts. He does so by variously demeaning, flattering, and bullying holdout rival assassin Martin Q. Blank, and, on occasion, directly stealing hits from under his nose. Their dispute culminates in a showdown in which Grocer tries to kill Blank, hit target Bart Newberry, and the two NSA agents he put on Blank's tail all at once. Ultimately, Blank never joined Grocer's Union, and nobody got to kill Newberry or Blank. But how did the panel of peril rate Grocer's plan? Was it a good concept, and how well was it pulled off, Ben? As an idea, putting together a union of assassins is a pretty good idea. Mm. It's not executed very well. Mm -mm. Uh, He Immediately from the first discussion with Blank, Grocer's aggressive. He doesn't try in any sweet talk. He's just he's straight in there. And as soon as he realizes he doesn't get his way, he gets the hump and basically spits the dummy out and then tries to get Blank arrested and then yeah. try, even tries to kill him. I don't think they're very good techniques. Certainly not the kind of techniques you'd find in the art of the deal, for example. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll uh, improve on it later. Don't you worry. But for now, I'll give you a four floret broccoli rating uh-huh. to be getting on with. Pretty low. I'm expecting some sweet talk in your plan after that little teaser. <laughs> All right. Gaz, what did you think of Gross's plan? Yeah, similar to, to what Ben said. Uh, for someone who's trying to recruit somebody to a group, he's being awfully aggressive and confrontational about it and grassing him up to the feds and going after his father-in-law, or potential father-in-law, I should say. Doesn't seem like the most well-thought-through plan. No, although the father-in-law thing is is strictly (laughs) business, isn't it? It's uh, someone else who's got the contract. Oh, yeah, yep. As Blank might say, it's not me. Mm. Makes you wonder, did Gross have anyone else in the union? Or was Blank going to be his first... I think the idea is that everyone else is already in it, apart from Blank. I see. That's the impression I got anyway. Yeah, he definitely says they are, doesn't he? Whether he's just saying that to make Blank think that it's an easier sell. But then you'd expect more assassins in this swamped marketplace to be after Debbie's dad, wouldn't you? Mm. Yeah. Cinemaster, any, any different thoughts? Pretty much the same. Grocer has sort of got out of bed that morning done his usual ablutions, walked out the door, and he's realised he ain't got his fucking trousers on, has he? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he's fucked it. He's fucked it straight away. Yeah, he's unhinged, and he's not patient, man. I think maybe he's incapable of pulling off uh, his ambition just because of his temperament. But maybe, maybe one of the panel of peril might sort of remedy that situation? Well, let's fucking hope so, because otherwise... 
This is going to be a shit end to the episode. <laughs> I fucking hope so. I'm up shit creek. <laughs> This is the part of the show where the panel of peril compete for the title of season four's most diabolical. Up for grabs is one point for each vote, which will go towards the series leaderboard. Grocer tried to become the top dog of the Assassin's Union, but what would you have done differently, Ben? As a high-flying business guy born in the 80s, I know a thing or two about attractive packages, and the package Grocer offers Martin Blank is far from attractive. In fact, it's a downright ugly package, and nobody likes ugly packages. <laughs> Do they, Gaz? Oh, goodness, no. Goodness, no. <laughs> Do they, Cinemaster? Well, it depends. Maybe they're feeling particularly uh, charitable that day. It could be. It could be tough. Do they? Craig. <laughs> I think most packages are ugly and <laughs> it's a rare sight, a beautiful package, so I'd have to agree. Thank you. So with that confirmed now, please write that down in your in your copybooks. <laughs> <laughs> so Grocer doesn't wine him, dine him, or even visit the Guggenheim with him. <laughs> Martin needs to be wooed if he's to join Grocer's new union of assassins. So in my universe Instead of a clandestine spot in the L.A. hills, Grocer takes Martin to a quiet but quality steakhouse to explain all the benefits of being part of a union. As they sit down, Grocer starts his pitch by highlighting the sense of belonging that is so often overlooked in the hitman community. With the world changing at such a rapid pace, it's important for assassins to stick together and support one another, not forgetting benefits such as shared resources and even liability insurance. Martin is already reevaluating his outlook on life, so the idea of community and companionship will at very least pique his interest. And the $40 fillet steak and crinkle-cut fries won't hurt either. Smothering his dead cow in thick brown pepper sauce, Grocer moves on to the financial incentives. As a member of the collective, Martin would be entitled to a share of the profits from the union's activities. There would also be higher rates of pay all round thanks to the closer alignment between members. As a man with half an eye on leaving the industry, Martin will surely be tempted by the extra income in the short term. Dabbing his jowls with his napkin, Grocer probably senses he has Martin on the hook by now. Time to reel him in. With the main course over, attentions naturally turn to dessert. Grocer focuses his attention on Martin's left ear. When Martin asks what's the matter, Grocer tells him that he has something stuck behind it. <laughs> and with a flick of the wrist, reveals a $20 gift card for Baskin Robbins. <laughs> Grocer explains that all union members get one of these cards each month oh. before going on to describe the menu in explicit detail. Creamy, refreshing, mint choc chip. Sinful but seductive double choc fudge. Peerless praline, good old-fashioned rum raisin, cherries jubilee, popping candy, custard or something. Understandably, Martin's mouth is watering as he agrees to join there and then. But as Grocer hands over the card confirming Martin's place in the union, he holds on to it for just an extra second or two and tells Martin that if he backs out of the union now after getting the Baskin Robbins card, he will release a swarm of angry bees into his house. <laughs> to celebrate getting Martin on board, Grocer then travels to Gross Point and executes Debbie's dad as murder for pay is his preferred method of rest and relaxation. All right. Anyone got any questions for Ben? So what's to stop him getting $20 notes and just going to spend that in Baskin Robbins instead of a voucher? All the money he's earned from uh, doing his hits. Because... When you have cash, you have lots of options and mm. your mind doesn't always just focus. <laughs> yeah. Like when you see Baskin Robbins, <laughs> that logo on that card, and you know that's the only place you can spend that card, yeah. you're going to make the effort to get there. <laughs> that makes sense. I think that's true. I think the whole gift card, gift voucher industry is 
built on that assumption, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. Because people still buy them for birthdays and stuff. It's basically to stop buying your alcoholic aunt a bottle of whiskey every fucking Christmas, <laughs> isn't it, essentially? <laughs> bottle of Baileys. Don't buy a whiskey. Just give her a fucking voucher <laughs> for somewhere else that you can't buy booze with. Guys, you got any challenges there for Ben? Just that we were both saying that he's too aggressive in his approach to Martin, which you weren't for the most part, but then you did threaten him with releasing bees in his house. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Quite a threat. Especially if your sofa's covered in sticky ice cream, then bees. Yeah, bees. Ooh, yeah. So the way I had it in my mind is that in the restaurant, he was trying his best to keep control of his emotions. And then just at the end, it kind of kind of broke through because it would but the mask slipped right yeah uh yeah i have one question for you ben can you remember what blank has in the diner scene with grocer in the film what what he has in his omelet nothing and why is that because uh he likes his omelets empty because he likes to eat very healthy i don't think that he would eat about baskin <gasps> robin's ice cream <gasps> oh shit You've got me. Oh, oh, or <laughs> you haven't got me. And in fact, there's a low calorie ice cream at Baskin Robbins just for uh, Martin Q. Blank. <gasps> oh, yeah. They probably do salads as well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> salads with <laughs> with sprinkles and fudge sauce. I'll have a nice cone of salad, please. <laughs> yeah, and instead of sprinkles, you have um, dried onions Ooh, on it. Oh, yeah. Fried onions. Ooh, mm. Yeah. <laughs> Dishless. All right, fan. Thank you very much, Ben. Cinemaster, can we have your plan next, please? At the start of the film, Grosser just seems to be trying to get Blank out of the way by coming up with a union idea. Seems that Blank thinks this is crazy talk, poorly thought out, or an attempt to narrow the competition. Grosser doesn't seem like a decent union general secretary but behind the scenes he has been working hard we all know the benefits that workers unions have brought us fair wages weekends eight hour working days paid holidays safe working conditions you get the picture grocer has thought of and applied the same kind of logic for contract killers to his union proposals instead of having a chinwag over the bonnet of a car (laughs) grocer invites him to his new offices and hands blank a new business card. Impressive. Embossed. And is that colour bone? (laughs) Blank respects Grocer. He knows how to bump someone off, but he always had him down as a bit of a loose cannon, not someone with ambition. However, he can't help but be intrigued. He agrees to follow him in his car. At his new offices, Grocer explains what Union can offer. Using the latest technology and the wonders of the internet, he foresees a global organisation with the resources and personnel pool to be the top provider of permanent solutions. At the forefront of this is a dedicated, healthy and happy workforce enjoying benefits such as a protection network, legal advisory services, target database, advanced training workshops, secure communication hub, resource sharing, medical support, global safe houses, retirement planning, and infiltration assistance. Grocer explained Blank's company could easily be absorbed into his new union, safeguarding not just the killer, but his analyst secretary. Grocer expects not only to be the top choice of the criminal envelope, but also corporations and perhaps governments. He has recruited numerous talented killers, including a chap called Richard Rath, who has recently had an entanglement with another killer, precisely what Grocer intends to avoid in the future. In fact, he's just sent Rath to deal with some union business near Detroit. Feeling increasingly lonely and like a basket case, with an inept therapist who offers no tangible help, Blank feels that perhaps medical support and other associated benefits and networking with other individuals and establishing a rapport might be the tonic he needs. Blank makes a gut decision to sign up with Grocer right there and then. To forget about the one that got away, 
she got a big face. <laughs> and thinks to himself, there's plenty more fish in the sea. Yeah, I had to get that in because when you see Mini Driver, that's the first thing I think of. <laughs> she got a big face, Stufa. <laughs> so Harry Hill? Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> Anyone got any questions or challenges for Cinemaster on his plan there? I feel like he's just copied my idea, really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could sum it up, would you say that it's establishing a rapport with other killers is the is the in into the union? Yeah, it's the it's the full package. It, it, it's like, because all he does, all Grosser does in the film, he just says, let's join the union, we'll work together, right. blah, blah, blah. He doesn't really pad it out with anything. And it's clear that Blank isn't on the best of terms with him straight away. And there's no reason for that to change throughout the film, even though he meets him again and speaks on the phone and stuff. So I just thought the best thing to do is for, for Grosser to actually go, if I'm serious about this, let's do the groundwork first and then get him on board and pull people on board as we go. And Blank is just another asset he's going to have, or they'll have a combined value, essentially. Yeah. Very corporate union. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. I was expecting you to be the most Arthur Scargill-esque of us, knowing your love of <laughs> socialist values. Yeah, but I mean, you can't really call contract killing no, being socialist, no. can you? So, so they they they're going to have to pervert it. Yeah, unless they do it pro bono, by which I mean killing yeah. Bono from you too, <laughs> <laughs> which I would do pro bono. <laughs> All right. Anyone else got any questions for Cinemaster there? You caught my interest with the embossed business card. Oh. Yes. Did you like the colour? Little nod to American Psycho there. Uh, exactly. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Very nice. I wonder if there'd be a, a logo at all? Mm. Yes. I've got the company. Well, it'd be one of these names. It's going to be Latin. The first one I came up with was Hush Hush Dispatch Dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> you can have to explain that one for me. I don't understand Latin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that one is actually Spanish that one yeah, so. <laughs> and then I had two Latin names for it and one's Conjutores Mortis Fideus mm. which is Hired Individuals of Death Union Wow! and the second one was Lethiferi Sotias which is Lethal Society or Association nice I'm just going to re- remind you again not to leave anything out of your plans because we always get to some amazing meat when we ask you to follow up. <laughs> yeah, but I've got loads for, for the actual, all the, the things, the benefits the, the union offers as well. I've got wordy explanations of that, but I would, didn't think it would go into that because pointless because it would take fucking forever. Any, any one stand out that you, you want to share? No, it's just like saying, it just basically explained what I said, like yeah. secure communication because I've seen them using the internet and it's like the basic modem dialogue yeah, stuff. 95. Like so it was basically like working on the communications, utilizing an encrypting, encrypted communication platform. Well, like a say, yoga pots on a string. <laughs> no, no. What did they have then? Netscape Navigator. If it, if assassins had got involved. Oh God, yeah, Netscape Navigator. could have had Chrome a lot sooner. <laughs> did you get my other second movie reference there about the other... Assassin. Richard Rath. Is that the one you were talking about in a previous episode? No. No. Uh, okay. Is that sliced alone from Yes! Well done, um... sir. Well done. Excellent. Yeah, from Assassins. I've never seen Assassins because when me and Gaz went to see it in cinema, <laughs> I got turned away for not being old enough and we had to <laughs> watch Forrest Gump instead. <laughs> oh well, you know, every cloud. Alright. Gaz, ready with your plan? In order to win the membership of Martin Blank, I would simply charm the pants off him by presenting him with the following list of benefits. First, I would say that I would give him a signing on fee, but I would phrase it as giving him a blank check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go, here we yeah, go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Second, Martin, I would say. Martin. You've already told me that you like dressing a certain way. What if I told you, Martin, that I could get you all of the black garb in the world, Martin? Well, you can if you join my union, Martin. 
That's because one of the contracts on our books is to assassinate Senor Famous Clothing Designer. The clothes will then be all yours, mine. <laughs> Third. <laughs> Third. Would you like a nice cake? Perhaps a coffee and walnut cake. Four. If your childhood home should have been replaced in any way, shape or form, I will rebuild it brick for brick with my own two hands. Five. Just join my fucking union, will you, you stubborn prick? Six. The respect of your peers. Seven. Free health and dental insurance. And eight, I will woo any woman that you point your bony pale finger at in your service, Martin. Is there a special lady, Martin? An old flame? A lost love? Fortunately for you, I, grocer, am a very sensual man, and female women are unable to resist my spider-like seduction <laughs> techniques. So there. There are eight, count them, eight excellent reasons to join my union. And as for the hit... Well, let's just say that Grocer does the thing with the dripping cyanide down the bit of string. It's a really cool idea that I both hope is and isn't real. <laughs> so there we go. A long list of benefits. Yeah. Uh, eight, I believe. Isn't there another movie where they actually do that poison down the string? I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, it's a Bond movie, yeah. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think what it was because he just looks like he's pouring, pouring like some blue motor oil down it, doesn't he? Essentially, yeah. Is there another film where he does that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you only live twice, Booyah. you oh, that's it. Yeah, he, he rolls over, doesn't he? And his missus gets yeah. it, his, uh, his bit on the side. Right. Then Sean Connery goes native by taping back his eyes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> god, yeah, yeah, jeez. Oh, it's a tasty one. Yeah. Apart from that, it's it's pretty solid. <laughs> Apart from the massive racism, great, great it's theme great. tune, great Roald Dahl script, but yeah, terrible, terrible racism. Yeah. And his Spock hairdo as well. Bizarre. All right. So, what was the famous clothes designer's name again? Senior Famous Clothing Designer. <laughs> So I thought Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> and Martin's gonna get all of those clothes. All yeah. the black clothes he wants. He's gonna have have his run of the walk in wardrobe. Wow. He mostly designed So is that Cinemaster? Compliment. <laughs> oh your eyes. I lose myself in them. Cinemaster. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was lost in your eyes. <laughs> but he'd probably get lots of clothes that, that were meant for ladies as well, or for um people who identify as ladies he could use them as part of uh the scheme to woo debbie right if he's got any machine skills he could quite easily run up a nice pair of curtains just using the materials yeah that's true you know the old saying you can never have too many curtains do we think that he's got machine skills i mean it's never explicitly mentioned either way so let's just assume that yes he does have those (laughs) skills yeah pretty safe to assume I imagine being pleased and excited if you said that you were going to kill the beneficiary of Johnny Cash's estate and steal all of his black suits. <laughs> <laughs> that would have made a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, because he's the, the, the man in what you call it, isn't he? Mm, isn't he? Mm. Is that Craig Cash? Craig Cash. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the poison from the ceilings is going to work with Debbie's dad because he's got a house. It only worked because... Martin was able to rent the apartment above the, the guy. Hmm. But what you don't see by that staircase is that uh, Debbie's dad actually sleeps at the base of the staircase. So all he has to do oh, is it? stand <laughs> at the top of the staircase. That, yeah, just that shot is a little camping bed. <laughs> and everything is tied up in a neat little package. <laughs> okay, I will bring us home then. Just, I'd like it state for the record that Gaz also copied my idea. <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> All right. Felix La Poubelle is in town. The ghoul. This means trouble for Blank. Grosser knows this. Maybe the smart thing to do is let them take each other out. Ah, but Blank would probably win. 
He's good. Real good. Damn, life would be so much easier if Blank would just join the Union. But he doesn't trust me, thinks Grocer, and he shouldn't. But maybe there's a way I can earn his trust and get him in my pocket. Blank leaves the disco hall and heads to his old locker. He finds an ancient joint concealed in the top of the doorframe, which crumbles in his fingers. La Poubelle makes his move, lunging at Blank. The two go at it for a minute until La Poubelle gets the upper hand. This is it. His chest explodes twice in a bloody mist. A final bullet in his forehead completes the Mozambique drill and the job. Grocer puts his silenced guns away and wheels the school janitor's mop towards Blank before helping him to his feet. He puts his hand on Blank's shoulder, smiles warmly and says, Go get her, kid. We'll talk later. Blank is beaten, disorientated and confused. He rounds the corner just in time to stop Debbie from encountering the body. She asks him what happened and he expertly leads her back down the stairs as he spins her a yarn about being hit by Bobby Beamer before the two made friends and shared poetry. He doesn't want to make anything of it. The next day, Blank and Grocer talk on the phone. Blank is now more or less resigned to leaving the life behind, so Owen Grocer his life decides to take the path of least resistance and agrees to join the union. He leaves through the contract and sees the target is Debbie's father. He rushes to his car to intercept him on his jog, but is surprised to find the old man armed. Unknown to Blank, Grocer has sent a copy of the contract to Newberry in the post, along with a note fingering Blank. (laughs) So you weren't kidding when you told me what you do for a living, were you, Martin? Before Blank can speak, one of Grocer's goons takes out the old man. Just then, Grocer shows up and puts 30 bullets in the assassin. Smells like barbecued dog hair. Oh, Blank. <laughs> I'm sorry, Blank. <laughs> so there you go. He, In a nutshell, he saves Martin's life and therefore Martin's indebted to him. So Martin goes after Debbie's dad? Martin goes to, as he does in the film, to try and save Debbie's dad. But when he gets there, Debbie's dad has a gun because he's expecting Blank to kill him. Ah, okay, okay. Or to try and kill him. So he's effectively saved his life twice there, isn't he? Exactly, exactly right, yeah. But knowing that Blank wouldn't appreciate Debbie's dad being killed, Mm. he gets one of his other uh, union men to do it, and then Grocer kills that assassin in front of Blank as if, you know, he's got Mm -hmm. revenge for him, but also doesn't give him a chance to tell him what happened. Revenge. Omerta. Did Debbie's dad get a warning? He did, didn't he? You said he got a warning, didn't he? From Grocer, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. Is it likely that Blank would investigate who the other assassin was and trace it back to Grocer? Well, he would know anyway that all the assassins are in the union. And the way that Grocer could spin this is that's why he killed the guy. He was acting out of turn against union orders. Ah, that's a clever angle. Yeah. That's why Grocer kills him. Puts 30 bullets in him. Yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Well, it's two magazines of 15 apiece. So he stops to reload his mag. Yeah. <laughs> or double gunning. Double gunning, uh, shooting face. At <laughs> the very least, I'll give you credit for uh, having an original plan. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the shit. <laughs> <laughs> Some truly diabolical plans there, but who will get the votes? Wait, I voted. I was just too busy, too busy staring. <laughs> I've got to recap the plans yet, so don't don't worry. Call your jets hot stuff. First, we had Ben's pudding promise. Next, we had Cinemaster's perfect union. We had Gaz's charm offensive. And finally, we had my plan. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hear the votes. We'll start with mine. It was really difficult between them because they were so similar. Two of them more similar than the others. And therefore, the decider for me was uh, 
the absurdity factor, and so I have voted for Gaz. Oh, ho, ho, ho. very good. And Gaz, who have you voted for? Well, I voted for the person whose plan seemed the most logical based on the plot of the film and the machinations of the film itself. And so I voted for Craig. And I'm going clockwise, so let's have Cinemaster next. Well, I voted for the least silly plan. I have voted for Craig. It's me. And finally, Ben. And I'm regretting it, but I I'm voting for the one I thought was the best thought out. And the Latin names just tipped it over the edge. I voted for the Cinemaster. Ooh. All right. Mm. So, mm. Gaz, how has that affected the season four leaderboard? Bigly, bigly affected them. In the lead with six <laughs> points is Craig. Oh, it's me. In Ooh. second Ooh. place. With four points, it's me. In third place, with two points, it's reigning champion, the Cinemaster. And Ooh. oh, oh, did it, did it, did In last place, with zero points, it's Ben. <laughs> oh, I still not them up, but it's still all to play for. This yeah. is ridiculous. <laughs> still feeling the damage from the first season win that you're all so sore about. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the fourth season now, guys. Just let it go. <laughs> Do any of us still count season one because of the different scoring anyway? <laughs> yeah, it was a fluke. Let's be honest. You, you swindled us all with your song at the very end. We know it. You know it. Let it go. I'm going to have to start singing some more songs. Oh, yes, please. We're wise to it now. Your songs have no power here anymore. <laughs> okay. Next week, Gaz will be hosting. What divisive film will we be arguing over? Well, it's funny you should say divisive, because I've picked a film that I I fully know that you like, Craig, and I'm 100% certain Ben is going to despise. We're going to be watching (laughs) Zack Snyder's Justice League, all four glorious hours. All right. (laughs) How many hours? Four hours. Jesus Christ. <laughs> What's the matter? CIA got you pushing too many pencils. <laughs> Gaz got me watching too many hours of superhero films. Any long-term listeners worried about my cognitive reasoning here should know that I don't like any of the other Zack Snyder DC movies. Oh, I do. I hate Man of Steel. Batman versus Superman. Fucking terrible. You like Sin City and stuff, don't you, though? And yeah, but he's not involved in that. 300. Yeah, 300's okay. Yeah, 300's great. Yeah. I really fucking love... Is it Dawn of the Dead they remade? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, the remake of Dawn and Dead. Yeah, it's really good. Absolutely fantastic. Remember... Yeah, really good. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that wraps up this episode with no loose ends. Thank you for listening. And if you ever want to become a real person, make sure you subscribe, hit the bell, and leave us a review on the very platform on which you're currently listening. You can follow us on social mediums at DiabolicalPod. Next week... We'll be competing to improve on the diabolical plan of Darkseid or possibly Steppenwolf in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Until then, take a deep breath and tell yourself, this is me breathing. Let me go on, like I blister in the sun. Let me go on. Big hands, I know you're the one. They're bringing back a grove back, you know? Really? Yeah. Ant and Decker executive producing it, and they're bringing it back. This is going to be like a gritty Netflix reboot. Yeah, like that Fresh Prince. Yeah. Who's going to do the laugh at the end, I wonder? Because they won't have Spuggy anymore, will they? (laughs) 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 No, they do. What? Spuggy's back? Yeah.
Jeez. Spooky. She's been on the game for like 20 years and was just coming <laughs> off crack or something like that, yeah. <laughs> but that, now she's she's a youth worker. She's using her experience to uh, turn kids away from her life on the streets. Don't do the same things as me, Lee. <laughs> Look at these flaps, man. Look at these flaps. You'll get flaps like these if you do go on the game as long as I have. <laughs> 17 kids, mind. 17 kids. <laughs> what? <laughs> just flashing our cameras on <laughs> the other two are just doing quick <laughs> shots of their cameras but it's already it's already fucking with the wi-fi see you've ruined turner's wi-fi <laughs> <laughs> sorry it started to go all tinny just then as you did it <laughs> are you still fucking around on the cameras what what's going on <laughs> no no it's just <laughs> It's just that you said um, yeah. 1999's uh, Mel Gibson. <laughs> I just like the way that you've put all that in twice so That's far. That's one of, one of my things. Th- for a third. <laughs> you do it with Gary Oldman's Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stokes, and you say it so smoothly. Yeah, I was crying. It's practiced. <laughs> When you were young and your heart was an open book, you used to say, let it live. You know you did, you know you did, you know you did. And it's ever-changing world in which you live in makes you give in and cry. Living like that. Lovely. <laughs>